I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 139 in which we talk with author Valerie Goodwin. And I am recording this episode on Sunday, December 22nd, 2013. I want to say thank you to all of you for joining us for this episode and listening. Especially thank you to any of you who might be new listeners joining us for the very first time. You've picked a great episode to try us out on. I'd also like to say thank you to anybody who has been listening for a while. Welcome to all of you. And I'm really really excited about this episode. As I've indicated in previous episodes, this one has been a long time in the works. Um, I have been trying to coordinate schedules with Valerie for several weeks. We had a couple of near misses, a couple of last minute cancellations, and we were finally able to talk this last week. I want to start out by saying how very appreciative I am of Allison, who you might know from Within a Quarter Inch podcast. Um, in her other life, she is with CNT Publishing, and she offered me the opportunity to review a great book. And as a bonus, she also connected me with the author of that book. So in today's episode, you are going to get to listen in on a conversation that I had with Valerie Goodwin, the author of Art Quilt Maps, Capture a Sense of Place with Fiber Collage, a Visual Guide. Now, since some of you might be tuning into this episode specifically to hear Valerie herself, I'm going to do a couple of announcements first, but then get right to the interview. After my conversation with Valerie, then I will talk about my own experience with this book. You will hear a little bit of that through the conversation, but I'll talk more specifically about it after our conversation is completed. And I will share a little bit about the project that I'm working on based on it. Uh, depending on what kind of time I'm at at that point, then I will also probably give you the usual Sandy update and listener feedback. But if it's running long, I will um, forego that for a future episode. So... If you're only interested in Valerie, you will know when you can cut and run. I'll make that really obvious, <laughs> but um, I will thank you for joining us for that much of the episode. You are, of course, always welcome to pull up a chair and stay a while. So the first couple of announcements before we get into the conversation. Um, those of you who have been listening for a while, or if this is your first time, remember or know that I am doing the 2014 Quilty Resolutions giveaway. That was the topic of my last episode. I do now have the link to um, where you can submit your own resolutions posted. Uh, it's in a blog post, and I probably will not post the link to that blog post in the show notes this episode because I got a whole lot of other stuff going on this week but um, for this episode show notes. But uh, it is in my blog, so just look for uh, the linky for Quilty Resolutions on the blog and you can find it there. But you do need to listen to the episode before you try to submit your resolutions. Otherwise, you're not going to quite understand what it's all about. So that link is posted, and a few of you have submitted, so thank you so much for that. I'm looking forward to getting other people's submissions as well. Also, do remember, just a few more days, the day after Christmas, for those of us who celebrate, is Boxing Day, um, December 26. And as usual, I am hosting a Boxing Day sew-in um, on that day, hashtag BDSI on Twitter, 
I will be doing a giveaway through my blog. I'm going to be doing it specifically through my blog because I know there's some folks who are working that day or aren't on Twitter or whatever. So you will be able to um, get to the giveaway through my blog. I'm also um, putting a linky on my blog. If there's any other podcasters or bloggers who also want to do giveaways that day, you can hook up to my linky. And I also hope you will link my giveaway on yours so that people can just hop from blog to blog to blog and get their names in for a whole lot of fun. We usually do have several giveaways on BDS. So I hope we will do the same this year. Um, So I've already, you know, there's already been some chatter in Twitter about those of us who are looking forward to BDSI and what we're going to be working on that day. I've already started kind of mentally lining up my projects a little bit. So that's a a fun day in all. Um, And there's actually a giveaway attached to this episode as well. So I've got a whole bunch of giveaways going on all at once. I guess it's the season. So that is all I'm going to say at this point. We're going to get right into the interview now. And then again, if you come back after the um, interview, I will talk a little bit more about that giveaway attached to this episode, as well as my experience with the Art Quilt Map book and my project. And so with no further delay, here we go. Why don't we go ahead and get started by having you introduce yourself? All right. I am Valerie Goodwin. I am a professor of architecture uh, at Florida A&M University, and also I'm the interim program director for graduate studies in architecture. And I'm an artist as well. And I am so glad to be here with uh, Sandy this evening. I'm really glad to to have you with me. My listeners know, because I've been talking for a while about, we've been having problems getting our schedules together, and I'm really thrilled that we finally were able to do this. Um, Let's start out talking a little bit about how somebody in architecture ends up becoming a quilter. Can you talk a little bit about your story of how you ended up becoming a quilter and how that works in with your background in architecture? Sure. And if I I might... um sort of change what, how you phrase the question? Sure, I absolutely. say how I ended up. I think that it was an amazing thing that happened to me as far as finding quilting as a way for me to express myself art- artistically. I learned to sew when I was a young girl uh, from my grandmother. I grew up in Connecticut, but my family is from uh, North Alabama, and every summer we would travel down there to spend a few weeks um, with my mother's family and my father's family. And my grandmother was a home economics teacher. And she's the one who got me into sewing. And I used to sew for myself as a young girl as well as my three younger sisters. And I stopped sewing when I got to be a teenager. You know how that goes. You don't think certain things are um, so cool to do. Yeah, it's not cool anymore. Yeah. Right. And so I didn't sew again uh, until I started teaching architecture. And it was just by accident that um, I was reading um, something called the Journal of Architectural Education. And it uh, describes um, various articles about architecture from the academic point of view. And I was reading an article written by a female professor of architecture. And she had her students study uh, traditional quilt blocks like flying uh, geese and and pinwheel and so on. And they became diagrams for floor plans uh, that were utilized to create a museum for quilts. 
And for some reason, that article stuck with me. And at the time, I was teaching beginning design, and I thought that that using some of the things she talked about, looking at traditional built quilt blocks and see how that can be used to teach students the general things about design, that would include color, shape, form, um, pattern, rhythm, all those things that everybody who studies in the design field has to know about. And um, so I, I developed a series of exercises and the students eventually in beginning design um, classes with me, they would study the blocks that I even had to make their own quilt blocks, quote unquote, out of paper. And then these diagrams became a space to display a quilt and it became a pretty popular exercise. And I did this for a while, and I decided, well, you know, why don't you learn how to quilt? And so one summer I took a six-week course in, um, I think it was called the sampler quilt or something like that. And I made my first quilt totally by hand. And after that I was, I was hooked. Uh, not only did I love the, you know, using the fabric and sewing and, and learning all about traditional quilting, I knew at the back of my mind that there was something, some way for me to express ideas about architecture and my pent-up desire to be an artist. I knew that there was something I could do with media, medium. And I took some classes. Um, well, I, I, I soon discovered that I really couldn't express myself the way I wanted to, just relying on traditional quilting techniques. And I took a course at the Quilt Surface Design Symposium in uh, Columbus, Ohio, a couple of summers after this first class. And I learned um, a technique called fabric collage. And that's where my work sort of took off, and I was able to be much more expressive. I wasn't bound by having to make, you know, corners match and all those things that are important technically, but things that I just found to be a little bit constricting. It's interesting to me that, um, you know, I think of architecture as obviously this very exacting type of design, and yet there was something in you that was yearning for something a little less exacting in your in yeah. your creative output. That's true. Hmm. Um, and I didn't really realize that about myself until I started to try and express myself artistically through quilting. And another kind of interesting thing that happened was, at first I would design like an architect. You do a conceptual design. You might do, you know, many, many concepts really quickly. You cycle through them and you select one or two to take a look at. And then after a while you're in what's called design development and you've, you've honed in on one possibility and it's like a contractual thing and it never changes. And you take that design, you make working drawings, you give it to the contractor, you're giving your work over to somebody else to work on it. And um, so it was a very kind of a linear process after the initial phase. And so I would do my quilting design, my fabric, fiber collage design kind of in the same way. I would do many sketches. I would decide I was going to focus on one, and that was my contract. And my work just it wouldn't change. 
all the way through to completion. And gradually I decided to give myself, I don't know how I made that decision, but I gave myself permission to let the work grow and change as I went through that whole process. And so the more I started not to, to rely on everything in architecture that I was trying to do, but try and make a hybrid of you know, architectural training and what I thought of as the way that maybe many artists might work or kind of improvisationally, that, that really helped my work. Hmm. And it's also interesting to me that you you mentioned earlier um, that the design principles that you study are basically the same, regardless of whether you're looking at architecture or um, painting or quilting, the principles themselves stay the same. You're still working with color and shape and line. Right. The principles stay the same. You might change the, the terminology a little bit, but when you really look at it and examine it, you realize that it, there is some common ground. Now, I do want to pick up on something you said in the introduction, uh, or, or at least somewhere in the early pages of your book, about when you first started thinking about quilting, you questioned yourself, should an architect quilt, would you still be taken seriously as an architect if you also became a quilter? Um, could you talk a little bit more about that? Where, where does that sort of split happen? And, and I know it happens. I'm just interested to hear your take on why... Um, how that would have had impact on how you were taken as an architect? Well, when I when I was uh, in college, um, those that was during the, the kind of the early stages of feminism, and you know, being involved in what's what is typically thought of as being kind of a man's um, profession, uh, women, or I found myself trying to be real careful about um, uh, just about where I stood in that whole around the whole world and the thing about quilting is that a lot of times people think of it think of it as a domestic activity and so if you're a feminist I guess to a certain degree you feel as though you you've given over to um, some of the things that uh, feminism sort of um, fights against but really, when I started to quilt, um, for me, many of the faculty members um, took note of it, and they encouraged it, and they really respected quilting. And um, so I, I was afraid at first, I guess, but that I, then I, but I learned that at least within the, con- you know, where I was working, that wasn't an issue. And after a while, I fell in love with it so much that. And I matured as a person, too. You know, I just decided I didn't care. This is something I, I have to do. Yeah, at some point, the fabric takes over, <laughs> and That's you don't right. really care. <laughs> um, do you feel like that's changed at all? Do you feel like the general public out there, uh, maybe that aren't involved in university settings, maybe still has some of that attitude towards quilting? Or do you feel like maybe there's more respect for it now as it's sort of become this multi-billion dollar industry, actually, that it is. Do you feel, do I you think, sense a change? I feel like there is, but, you know, there's still that feeling out there within certain circles, but it is, you know, money does talk. <laughs> that is true. And I, I think, you know, after the um, the Whitney Museum um, exhibition where they had, where they took quilts off the bed and hung them on the wall, I think that kind of changed our whole perspective of the quilt and quilt has become 
um, looked upon as art, which I think it should be. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So how did your students look at you the very first time you said, hey, by the way, we're going to make some quilt blocks today in class? How did, what, what was their first <laughs> I reaction? I could have videotaped that. I think they thought that uh, I was wasting their time and that it was nutty. I remember there was a one, one young man who was from, I think it was Nigeria or from Kenya, and I can't really... Um, I can't really do his accent, but he basically said, why would you want to take something that's already in one piece and cut it up and put it back together again? I really don't understand that. And I thought that was kind of funny. But um, as I said before, I think students, you know, they have to take a leap of faith in anything that a professor gives them to do that they may not understand. And I think that they realize that they were learning something from doing it. Do you think you've uh, created some quilters through the years doing this out of these students? I hope so. I think many of them, you know, when they graduate, they get caught up in, you know, the workaday world and right. their first job and all that. But I hope that some of them will come back to it. Right. Yeah. Now, you did express how, how this, um, doing these art quilts, kind of feeds a different part of your soul. What is it that you actually feel um, about working with fabric? What do you feel like that creates within you or, or feeds you? How does that work? I don't know. I just feel this connection to it. Um, my mother's family, um, my grandmother would work and father was work full time. And they... And a cousin of ours, an elderly cousin, came to live with him. And she was actually an avid quilter. I never met her, but I've, I've heard all kinds of stories about her. And there are many, many quilts that have been given away that she's done. And I just feel some sort of famili- familial connection to it. And I love the fact that um, I'm working directly with the material, whereas in architecture, you give your drawings over to somebody else who works with the material. And it's really great with quilting and working with the fabric, and I, I use paint, too, in my work. When you're working right directly with the media, you get to learn what it will do. But in architecture, you're handing it off to somebody else. And generally speaking, they're getting that that experience with the material. There are some architects who who do get more involved in construction, but most of us, um, it's the drawings. The drawings are rather abstract. This is not a realistic rendition of what's there. It's not three-dimensional. It's not life-size. So there's something about, I would think, being out in the construction site working material. I think I get the same um, desired work uh, experience with the materials like brick and mortar and all that kind of stuff. I get that feeling of control and... and um, the ability to, to explore more because I can do that with the fabric paint and thread. I think that's similar to, um, it took me a few years to realize this, but my job is all in my head. You know, I work a lot with words and, and things, and for me it's the physicality. It's just being able to touch something and, and working in colors and shapes. It is that, again, it's that other side of me that I'm able to act out. It sounds like that's quite a bit of what you're experiencing as well. 
All right, we've we've talked a lot about background now and and kind of um, filled in some foundation. Let's talk about your actual book, Art Quilt Maps. Um, I, I've told you this. I just love this book. It's probably one of the favorite books I've read in the last couple of years. Quilting books. Um, it's not your usual quilting book, however. So, could you talk a little bit about first of all what is in the book? What what do you feel that the book was about as you were creating it? Well, I definitely didn't want to just do a how-to book, although there are sort of how-to um, chapters that, that show you different projects. But I wanted to make them sort of open, open-ended and just present food for thought, show, you, show the readers some techniques, but give them just a good foundation that they could explore and experiment with within the confines of what I um, give them in the book. So there's, there's three, actually three um, exercises. One is called Map Haiku, which is creating something uh, inspired by poetry. There's another one that's called Favorite, Favorite Places, and that's about creating a map that expresses the feeling of a place that one may have traveled to or want to travel to. And then the last one, and I called it a kind of a legacy quote, something that's more personal. And in the book, um, I show my process of making a quilt that describes my connection to my family in um, North Alabama, my, my grandparents. Um, but also, I wanted to include some essay chapters that kind of give, gave people some insight into, you know, what my work is about. Um, what I'm interested in. Um, I wanted it to be, um, to include my architectural background, and I wanted to make it user-friendly so that people um, could read it and understand it, and, and so I didn't get, I didn't want to get caught up with a lot of the architectural or, or um, art jargon in the book. And then lastly, I wanted to have, um, some examples of my own work, as well as uh, the work of some of my students. And I really want to thank CNT Publishing for um, working with me on this vision. They were really great to work with. Well, the the book is beautiful to look at. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed reading it, and I've read it several times. And I haven't read it several times because I didn't understand it. I've read it just because I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. Uh, I do want to say the thing I was surprised about, I had seen this in magazine article or advertisements a few times and had kind of thought, oh, I might kind of want it, but I thought it was going to be um, about actual reproduction of maps themselves, much more realistic, I guess. And and so when I did get the book and realized that's not at all what it was, you, you certainly could go that route. But yeah. like you said, you were much more open-ended. Um, the the types of maps you have in there, which you've you've said, it's you can do the representational maps, but you also do sort of the memory maps and the the emotional maps. And you have a wonderful example from your gallery of your map called the economic landscape. Oh yes, yes, I think that was uh, done in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and that was in response to the economic um, fiasco that took place at the end of the the um, 
Bush era. I don't think I want to get too political. <laughs> right. However, um, yeah, it speaks to my feelings about what happened at that point in time. Right. It's It says to me, it redefined for me what a map is. And I've mm-hmm. really enjoyed exploring that myself. Um, how did you figure out how to organize this book? That was one thing I found, because, again, it's not organized the way I sort of am used to quilt books being organized. Um, how did you decide what order to put the different pieces in? Um, it's interesting to hear you say that. I guess I haven't read enough quilt books to really understand that maybe I was doing something different. But I wanted to go from the general um, to the more specific, I guess, and then back to kind of the more general in terms of just showing an array of work. Well, and that's very much, I loved your whole introduction and talking about, you give a lot of your family history in, in those first few chapters, and then you do get into the technique, and then you almost draw back the lens again, and then you start talking about the whole haiku thing, which... <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I tried to write a haiku for several weeks and just got myself stuck. Really? So I've been doing more free verse kind of thing, but I have been doing the poetry piece, which that was also a, a different way to start a quilt for me. Um, I loved that concept. Can you talk a little bit uh, for people who haven't read the book yet? Um, why is it? What is the purpose of the haiku? How do you feel that that is a good way to get this started? Um, well, first of all. Um, I want to say that as part of my job as a professor of design, is I, my job is to create opportunities for um, exploration in terms of the projects I give my students. And that's, that's one thing I really enjoy doing, setting the stage for discovery and growth and learning. And so as a, de- a design professor, oftentimes we will use um, different ways of getting, especially the beginning designer, um, getting them into um, the mode of design. And so, yes, certainly poetry is one way of doing it. I've used music as as a way of doing it. I've used um, looking and analyzing um, paintings by uh, famous artists. I mean, there are all kinds of interesting ways of getting into design. And so the exercises that you see um, the foundation of them it comes from what I do um, at, at my school of architecture when I propose projects for my students. Hmm. I did. I love doing the poetry, and in fact, I've ended up challenging myself to do a poem a day in this this way, using a photo and then doing something about my home. Uh, my oh. my issue with the haiku was only because I I was getting too caught up in counting syllables <laughs> and kind yeah, of losing track of what actually, I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> I think if you look. We might have made that correction during the editing phase, but I think there were a couple that didn't have the right number of, uh, of syllables. <laughs> Haikus, but, can be, they can be tricky. <laughs> they can be tricky. You're right. You're right. But the thing about it is it, it's restrictive, and so it should, well, I thought it was quick and easy to do, and I wanted to pick a, a, form, a form of poetry that um, would be um, kind of short and hopefully not too complex. Right. 
Um, and that's my the free verse I've been doing. They're all only two lines, three lines, you know, just a, a handful of words. So they're very haiku-esque. So I'm capturing the feeling, okay. even if it doesn't match exactly. As mm-hmm. I'm doing this poem a day, it's keeping me in that mental framework so that when I then approach my quilt, you know, as I get to it, the art quilt, I'm, art quilt map I'm working on, it's keeping those images and those feelings fresh for me. Um, well, so that, one of the key things is to include in the haiku words that relate directly to maps. Mm-hmm. I, and I did, as I was rereading your book again um, this week, I realized, okay, that's a piece I haven't really focused on. So as I now proceed through the rest of my poems a day this month, um, I will make sure I do that. Because in my art quilt map, I mentioned to you at one point, I'm kind of at a pause point where it hasn't told me yet what it needs next. And I think that's what it's missing, is I haven't had that connection back to the poetry in terms of actual map words. Yeah, right, right. So as people create these art quilt maps based on, you know, the the guidance you've given in the book, what is it you hope that they might experience or that they might feel themselves able to express through their own um, process? Um, Well, in this particular exercise, um, it was kind of a challenge for me uh, to create some of the art quilt pieces in that my goal was that the work should be simple, elegant, and understated. And so if you look at my work, my work is anything but simple, and it's anything but but um, it, it's very complex, and I have a hard time just getting it right the first time out. Um, so that's kind of a challenge, I think, in being expressive and being um, kind of limited and kind of zen-like. And so that's part of one of the things I want the students to to think about as they make it. How can you convey things in a brief, powerful, yet um, simple and elegant way? without um, clogging it up with a lot of excess. I can use paired back and just only give um, just the absolute necessary things to create the piece. So actually a haiku in fabric is basically what what you're shooting yes. for. Hmm. Right. Okay. Um, again, I want to emphasize to our, our listeners that there are, um, you do have these sort of three prongs of types of maps that people could be led to create. And actually, you know, once they read your book and kind of get a sense of the process, they can do whatever they want. But there's the more representational, and some of the maps in your gallery are more recognizable as maps. As real places. Right. right. Um, mm-hmm. And th- then there's the favorite places where it's sort of, yes, it's kind of representational, but it also has other imagery within it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's your legacy quilts or your you know the 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 memory ones themselves, and the lovely one of your grandparents' homes. I just I loved that whole chapter where you went, walk through that process. Has, oh, has, great! It's good to hear. <laughs> has there any? Has there been? As you've been working on a map, have you ever been surprised by anything in the process that started coming out or that happened within the the making of the quilt itself? Um, how I came up with the whole technique for the background wasn't conscious and that was surprising to me that sort of at some point I realized I had a whole process of technique 
that I could share with somebody. The thing about writing a book, too, and, and writing articles, it makes you clarify what you do. And that was the one thing that I enjoyed um, writing the book, is it helped me to, to be more clear. And it helped me, I think, in terms of um, uh, really getting a handle on what it is that I want to teach and how, how to teach it. Well, for as much as I'd like to talk to you all night about this book, let's let's move on to where you're going next. You have mentioned that you're starting to use a, a new kind of technology in your um, quilt making. Oh, yes. I was introduced to laser cutting technology about a year ago, a year and a half ago. And ever since I saw that machine, it was kind of the same thing that happened to me when I sort of discovered quilting. I have this thing at the back of my mind that tells me there's something I can do with it, something, some new, um, interesting, powerful direction that my work can take. And I don't know if any, if your viewer, if your listeners have um, know anything about laser cutting technology, but essentially what it is is you you can place any, almost any kind of material from paper to metal to wood, certain kinds of acrylic. You can take um, that material, and you can place it on the laser cutter. It, there's a flat bed inside. It's like a box, and you open it up, and there's a bed you place your um, material on. And depending on what, what size laser cutter you have, that affects what size the pieces that you cut. But anyway, you place it on the bed. You have to create a file that it reads, and then it will cut the lines and shapes out of the fabric. Precisely, but not only will it can it do that, it can etch or draw across the surface. It is really, really super um, sensitive. And I did a uh, a residency last summer at Florida State University's facility for arts research. I did a three week residency where I tested out over thirty different kinds of fabric to assess what the frequency, what the settings would have to be to use that machine to get it to cut, to get it to, to score so you can bend it, to get it to etch, to write across the fabric. And I don't see it as a tool for just creating repetitive shapes that you can you could cut out with, with a pair of scissors. It would be quicker. I see it as a way to create a holistic work where it stays together like a piece of lace, and you have solid and voids in it. And so I'm really super excited about that. As a matter of fact, this summer I'm going to offer a workshop at our school for fiber artists who would like to learn how to use the technology and spend four days at our school um, using our equipment. I'll be teaching students how to use um, some simple so software that interfaces with the laser cutter, and students will be able to do their own experiments, uh, guided experiments. Hmm. So I'm I'm almost picturing the the end result. Then um, I mean, does it actually cut out shapes? So you almost end up you could end up with like a whole cloth reverse applique kind of thing. Is that you can do that, or you can have separate shapes, hmm. or you can decide you just want it to draw on the fabric, draw some parts so you could stitch through it, or if you were to... Now, these are just things that are in my my mind that you could do. With. Right. If you paint... I know if you paint on 
um, say, cardboard. Say you painted uh, black paint on white cardboard. The laser cutter will just remove, you can set the laser cutter so it will just remove the black and then you see the white through it. It's that fine. Um, it's that sensitive. Wow. Yeah, that sensitive. So I am going to be doing some more experiments this, this semester, looking at what it can do if you paint across it, if you can get it to remove some of the paint and what happens with that. What happens if you don't want a precise line? It can do dots. It can do dashes that are disconnected um, void, so to speak. There are lots of things. You can set it so that you may want the aesthetic to be that it's burned. So you can set the power so that you get these sort of frayed, burnt edges. I think it has all kinds of possibilities. <laughs> I just get this image of you're basically going to start cutting with laser anything that's not nailed down. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, you can go I'm that excited, can't you? <laughs> That's pretty funny. Well, that's wonderful. I guess we'll look for a book from you on that in two, three years <laughs> once you get some process. <laughs> okay, so where can people um, learn from you? I know you're actually going to be not too far from my home uh, this summer. You're going to be at the uh, Quilting by the Lake, I think, um, festival yes, I'll be at Quilting by the Lake July 14th through the 25th. I'm teaching two classes. I'm teaching a class called the Complex Composition. And I'm teaching another class called Explorations in Color Using the Seven Principles of Design. And I'm also going to be teaching in Vancouver, British Columbia at the Maui Symposium. That's in September. And I'll also be at the Sisters event, the Stitching Post, in September. Uh, you also have a website. Do you want to let people know what your website is? Yes, it's www.quiltsbyvalerie.com. Uh, if anybody is interested in the laser cutting um, workshop, we're in the process of posting it to our school website, but I'll also have a link to that uh, on my website. And I have a Facebook uh, fan page called Art Quilt Maps, etc. Same as the book. Uh, so I'll be posting information on that workshop all over the place as well. And I should also mention that I'll be teaching at the Allegra Retreat in April. Okay. So I'm pretty excited about that. Cool. So you're getting out and around quite a bit. Yes, I am. <laughs> all right, and a lot of juggling. Yeah, I will uh, post the links to all those various things. Um, not the all the various uh, workshops and such, but I'll to your website and the Facebook page. Um, I'll make sure I post links to those in the show notes. That sounds great. And uh, I will give more information about this in my introduction and conclusion to this episode. But CNT Publishing is offering a copy of your book for me to use as a giveaway. So one of our lucky listeners will be able to get all inspired by hearing our conversation and then put their name in to hopefully win a copy of the book. So that's very exciting, too. Thank you, C&T. <laughs> um, is there anything else you'd like to share before we close? I don't think so. I've enjoyed speaking with you. Well, thank you. I've very much enjoyed speaking with you, and I think once we're done, I'm going to sit down with your book again. <laughs> And read it one okay. more time. I really, I really do enjoy it. Listeners, I'm, I'm not lying. <laughs> I really liked this book. So, okay. Um, thank you very much, Valerie. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me tonight. All right. You take care. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. 
I want to once again say thank you to Valerie Goodwin for making herself available to me for our conversation that I could then share with you. Thank you, Valerie, so much. I really enjoyed talking with you, um, asking questions and our emails back and forth a little bit before we did finally manage to get together. Um, and yes, indeed, I have read the book at least once since we talked again. And as I talked about in our conversation, thank you again to CNT Publishing for making a copy of Art Quilt Maps available for me to share with one lucky winner through a giveaway. You will find on the show notes to this episode a rafflecopter widget for you to enter the giveaway. The winner, if she or he has a U.S.-based mailing address, will get a physical print copy of the book from CNT. If the winner is an international mailing address, they will get an ebook version. So just be aware of that. The deadline for this giveaway is January 4th. The rafflecopter will actually shut down on at midnight on January 4th, midnight Eastern time. So be sure you enter uh, before that time if you are able to. Otherwise, you're just out of luck. Um, it is a really, really wonderful book. So let me talk now about Art Quilt Map and give my book review. As I talked about in the in the um, conversation, it's not set up the way a normal quilt book is set up. Although I guess if I really break it down, it's probably more similar. It didn't feel that way when I was reading it. Um, it feels like it kind of has a wide lens and then comes back in and focuses down and then kind of comes back to a wide lens and presents other concepts. Um, it is visually a stunning book. It's just beautiful to sit and look at. Uh, Valerie's kind of backstory, the first chapter and the, the last uh, few chapters where she actually walks us through some of her own projects. Um, very personal, very enjoyable to read. I really got a lot out of reading those themselves. So let me, the table of contents, the introduction, she says, she titles it Mapping My Beginnings as a Quilt Artist. Um, and that's where she shares some of that story that she talked about with us in the conversation. And then the next uh, chapter talks about, um, it's titled Mapping Out Ways of Working. It talks about uh, sources of inspiration. Why maps? And I want to read you this. As I said in the conversation, this book sort of redefined for me what a map is. And I'm going to read this directly from this chapter. She says, a map is an abstract idea of a place. It is a drawing, an interpretation of reality based on what the map maker wants to show. Map makers make choices about what to include as well as what to leave out. Accordingly, a map is a reflection of its maker and how it will be used. When I think of maps, you know, you obviously you think of your GPS or roadmaps or whatever, and, and I never really thought of those as an interpretation of reality. You know, I think of them as a very concrete representation, and, and actually any map is by virtue of the fact that somebody has to make those choices. It's an interpretation. But this book then pushes that even further. If a map is actually interpretation, then what does that mean as you create an art quilt map? And I, I just found that whole concept really, really interesting. Back to the table of contents, she does then go through uh, the materials and tools for creating a fiber art map, and that's where she gives a list of some basic equipment, most of which is stuff most of us are probably going to have around our house. And obviously, if you don't have all the equipment, you can work with what you've got. It's not like anything is specifically required for this. But she does talk about um, foundational materials, uh, the types of fabrics she tends to use or, or whatever you want to use within it. Um, she gives some ideas about uh, fusibles and stabilizers, painting supplies, stamping supplies. So she gives you a lot of ideas there. Um, certainly talks about what her favorites are that she uses or makes recommendations. But again, you can work with whatever you've got. 
then she goes through creating the landscape layer and, and actually this was the piece I've just had so much fun with and I'll talk about that in a minute but um, it's a different type of way of approaching a background you don't just start with a piece of fabric you actually create this the background itself is fiber collage um, as well as using paint and what she refers to as the translucent layer which is um, overlaying with organzas or tools or whatever and then she has uh, putting it on the map techniques to create lines and shapes that then go on your map and then that's where she then in, in my opinion sort of pulls back the lens again and so she's giving you all this information about how to make this map but then let's take it back a step and, and kind of where do we start from again and she talks about the haiku now as I said in the conversation I I set out trying to write a haiku and I just got myself all bound up in the rules of haiku and I decided that was probably not really what the intent was her intent was to have something very short you know you're, you're not going to write verses and verses and verses of poetry and then end up putting that all into your quilt uh, as she said in the conversation it's to keep it fairly simple and elegant um, and so that's the haiku and so what I have been doing is is what I refer to as you know it's free verse it's not conforming to those rules of haiku except in the fact that I'm only doing two or three lines I'm using very limited words now where I need to go back kind of to the drawing board and start over is I have not been using enough concrete words map related words objects I guess the nouns I haven't been using as many nouns in my poetry I've been going more for feelings and and concepts so I'm going to be um, this week as I have a little bit of time while I'm on vacation I'm going to be going back to that poetry and revisiting how I'm writing the poetry itself and see if I can't then pull out some concrete objects that can then relate to this map that I've been working on but I found that a really really interesting uh, piece and so I guess since I've talked about it now I'll let you know that what I've been doing because I'm very technologically oriented <laughs> mostly because I type faster than I can handwrite uh, I did find an app there is indeed an app for that there's uh, if you've got it this might be available on Droid too I don't know I have an iPad and uh, I use the the app instant poetry and it's basically like the magnetic poem uh, poetry kits you can get for playing with on your refrigerator that's just a bunch of words that you put together that's basically what this app is you can choose your background so I've been using photos um, from around the house and then you click a button and it gives you a random list of words that you can choose from and you can just keep cleaning out those words and getting new ones or you can write in your own word there's a, it, the, the app can be a hair glitchy at times but mostly I really enjoy using it um, and I like using their words to you know to kind of see what that inspires me to it's all part of that same inspiration and so I've been having a lot of fun with that app if <laughs> even if it hasn't really related as much to my or given me as much fodder for my art quilt map as I might have chosen but okay that's a, a side note there let's get back to her book after she talks about the haiku and, and how that helps she does then go through in that chapter a process that she used to make a map based on that haiku so you can really see step by step here's what she did first step uh, second and third again she is it's just descriptive it's not prescriptive you know she's just saying here's how I do it you know take from the glean from this what you will her next section is fiber art travel maps where she talks about making a map either of a place you visited 
or a place you've always dreamed of visiting. This is not something you have to really have been at and know. You can just be imagining what would, what would I feel like if I were standing right there. And again, you know, it can be as abstract or representational as you want. Then she goes from that into mapping personal memories and landscapes. And, and this was the section that I really got jazzed about was the whole idea of how do you map a memory? You know, what is it that that's going to, uh, what are the concrete objects that are going to end up kind of sharing that memory with others or that emotion? Um, again, we talked about her map called Economic Landscape. You know, it's, you could really push the boundaries here of what a map is. And I just loved that section. And that's one of the sections I kind of keep going back to and rereading. And that's where she uh, gives a step-by-step -step of creating maps of her grandparents' houses in one map and, and how she connected them together. And But she starts soup to nuts. She starts out with sending an email to her sisters and saying, if I say grandma and grandpa's house, what words come to your mind? And that's how she built it from there. So it's just a really neat process, and it's fun to get a peek into somebody else's brain <laughs> and how they work. I really enjoyed that. And then, of course... There's a gallery of her work and a gallery of work from her students as well. And as I mentioned in the um, conversation, some of them you can absolutely recognize this is a map. Other ones you wouldn't know it was a map unless that word was actually attached to it. Um, but it's a strong visual image and you still can get the message from it. It's just, this is a much cooler concept than I thought it was when I first saw this book advertised. <laughs> so I would really highly, highly recommend this book. Um, if you're not an art quilt map maker, if you're not, uh, if you really identify, I'm, I'm a traditional quilter, that's what I love doing. I'm a modern quilter, that's what I love doing. I like working with blocks and, and stuff. I still recommend this book because I really think it could have an impact on how you approach any quilt. Even if you're not doing this particular art quilt technique, if you decide, I want to make a, you know, I'm going to make an Ohio Star block because... I grew up in Ohio where my grandmother's house was in Ohio and we used to visit. I think going through this process of kind of thinking through what are the foundational concepts that you are going to bring out in this quilt would shape that quilt making in a different way. I just, I would be really interested actually to hear from people if you do that. If you get this book, kind of read through it, understand where she's coming from with it, and then you apply that to a different genre, to traditional quilting, to modern quilting and somehow it has an impact on your quilt, that would just be a cool thing to hear as well. So I would highly recommend that. So that's my fairly fast review of the book. Um, yes, I loved the book. And I, you know me, I do not give praise lightly. Uh, when I really enjoy something, I believe in giving it kudos. But if I don't like something, I'm not going to talk about it much. So, <laughs> you know, I really did like this book. Now, for my own art quilt map project, uh, part of why there was a bit of a delay in trying to get this uh, interview together is I really wanted to have experienced working through an art quilt map myself before I talked with Valerie about it. So I could talk, you know, much more educatedly, I guess, about the process. And I had a ball putting together the background, absolute ball. I just went to town. Um, I've already talked about, okay, I did start with trying to do the haiku, moved into free verse, used the instant poetry app. I've already given you that background. And then I decided, okay, you know, I'm going to do a map of my home, not my house, but my yard, because one of the things, we've lived in this house about seven, eight years, the house we lived in before, we, we did own a house before, but we had sort of fallen into it. We had rented it first, and then they finally brought the for sale price down to something we could afford, 
and um, so we bought it, but it wasn't like we'd actually gone out looking and choosing a, a house. You know, it was just sort of like it was convenient to rent at the time because it was close to where I was working. Um, we felt very fortunate to be in a house, but were we to choose a house, that wouldn't have been the house we would have chosen. So to a certain degree, although we lived in that house for 12 years, I can't say it ever really felt like my house, you know, that it just kind of always felt like a place of convenience more than anything. Um, a lot of good memories there, but it still didn't, it felt like home certainly, but it just didn't grab me the way our current house does because this one we had actually chosen, we we did end up building this house. That wasn't what we set out to do, but we had a lot of restrictions on where we could look. And at the time, the location that worked best for us was almost all new construction houses. It wasn't, there wasn't much available. We looked at houses that were already there, just not anything that really worked for us. So we did end up building this house. But even though I love the house, what I really love is the yard. And it just gives me this real sense of peace and I love sitting out on my back patio. We back up to woods, so there's a ton of trees. There's a lot of privacy at the moment if the house ever, next to us ever gets built. Um, <laughs> there's an empty lot still on one side of us, and the way that house is located is I wouldn't feel quite as private in my backyard if that house ever gets built. But eight years, lot hasn't sold yet, so we're still doing okay. Um, the house on the other side is kind of off at an angle and down a little bit of a hill, so that you know, we don't see each other in the backyard really much at all unless we're in certain parts of the, the yard. So there's a lot of privacy. There's a sense of peace. There's a sense of whenever I can sit out there, I'm just sort of regrouping and, and reconnecting with myself, with my family. I just, I love my yard. So I decided to try to express some of that in this art quilt map. And the background, like I said, I just absolutely loved putting together. I pulled out my bins. I've been collecting, um, bins, I should say. They're fairly small. They're shoebox size <laughs> of art quilt fabrics is how I have it labeled. And basically, it's just all those weird fabrics I never get to use in quilting. <laughs> and, okay, I, I refer them as my weird fabrics. For you garment sewers, they're not weird really at all, although some of them are. You know, these are my organzas, my tools, my um, silks. I don't really have any velvets in there, but they're, they're the non-100% cottons where they do get, okay, they move from garment sewing into the realm of the art quilt weird is that um, sometime last spring, there was a local art quilt maker um, who, and surface designer, surface embellisher, fabric dyer, who decided to downsize her studio and put together bags of scraps of various of her experiments. And so one of my friends went over and I said, just buy me whatever you think I'll like and I'll pay you back. And she brought me back these three bags full of just wonderful, wonderful fabrics where the person had been experimenting with dyeing techniques, experimenting with paint, uh, painting techniques, etc. Some of those are weird fabrics, but they're they're just fun. And so I just kind of went scrambling through my um, bins and pulled out anything that said to me, this feels like my yard. And I wasn't going literal. Although it is all greens and blues, that's because the greens and blues to me feel peaceful and feel um, very natural. And that's what I get from my yard. And then um, once I got those down, then I kind of said, okay, well, what do I want to do where the concrete pieces are? Okay, I've got a pool. What fabric do I want to use for the pool? Found the perfect, I, I think that's probably my favorite fabric is what I found for my pool. Um, what do I want to do about the house? Now, this is where I also, I, I probably, I think what I called a pause point in my art quilt map process where I said it was telling me what it wanted me to do next. I think I've decided it's telling me I need to undo some of what I've done and go back and redo it, um, do it differently. 
what I didn't do on the background, and this is because, again, I'm, I'm working against my years of training in quilting where I'm only using fabric. When I pulled together all the fabrics from my background, I came up with a background I loved. I couldn't figure out how to paint over it in a way I would like. I couldn't figure out how to do that translucent layer. And so I didn't do those, and I went right into that, you know, here's kind of where my house is, here's where my pool is, here's some um, flowers around, and it's just not grabbing me. So I'm going to pull all that back off and just work on the background again for a little while longer. Um, heaven knows I've got enough fabric paints and oil sticks and <laughs> all that kind of stuff in the house. Um, I did do some painting on it because my original thought was my house would be sort of this translucent ghosty thing in the background because I didn't want it to dominate. I did not want that to be the focal point. And I didn't like the way it turned out, so I appliqued fabric over the top of it instead um, and then quilted on that fabric. That's probably going to stay there because um, I do like the way that turned out, but I need to figure out what to do differently on the rest of the background. So I'm going to be working on that a little bit more this week. So that was my art quilt map project. I will, I guess for the purpose of this episode, I, I'm, I'm always a little leery of posting a picture of something in process, um, because I know what I post now, it may not end up looking anything like that, or I may decide, okay, this was an experiment, um, I'm going to set this aside, I'm going to start over in a completely new way, and that's legitimate in this process. You know, I don't always feel the need to go back and, oh, I've got to keep fixing this, I've got to keep fixing this. Sometimes I've got to say, okay, I've learned what I needed to learn from this, let me move on, start afresh, clean slate, all that kind of stuff, and see what happens based on what I learned the first time. I'm not feeling like that on this yet, I'm feeling like I can still work with what I've got. It's not that I don't like it, it's just that, I, okay, something's not working for me, let me back up a step or two and see you know, where I can take it from there. So that's where I'm, you know, yeah, okay, I'll post a little bit of a, a picture of where it stands now, just so you can kind of see, but know that I'm still pondering this. This is still very deeply inside me somewhere that <laughs> still needs to come out. I'm not going to be doing much of a Sandy update, or I'm not going to do any listener feedback, because I've been getting a lot of listener feedback, and I want to be able to give you the actual time to say thank you and to talk back to some of what you've shared with me. So I'm going to leave that for the next episode. Um, I may do kind of a mini episode sometime this week, since we have the Boxing Day sew-in, etc. Um, I will say I'm finally catching up with Scrappitude. <laughs> I got most of step one done yesterday. I hope to finish that up today. I'm really planning on being all caught up with Scrappitude by the end of this holiday vacation so that I'm ready for the next step when we get it in Guild mid-January. So that is going to be it for this episode. Do not forget, you've got a couple of giveaways going on. You have the 2014 Quilty Resolutions giveaway. You have... Um, Boxing Day Sew-In coming up on the 26th. And of course, we've now got the giveaway for a copy of Art Quilt Maps, which is on my blog using Rafflecopter. And I'm sorry, it's on my podcast show notes using Rafflecopter. And that one will have the deadline of January 4th. So make sure you pay attention to that. Thank you again to Valerie. Really appreciated it. Thank you to all of you who were listening. And um, thank you for joining in the conversation. I always appreciate that. And so you know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. You can follow my blog. You can follow me on Twitter, Pinterest, Goodreads, and Flickr, all of those places. I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. You can like the Quilting for the Rest of Us uh, page on Facebook, and you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group. Please do. I love looking at the pictures of your quilts. And, of course, you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all over the world. And you can find links for all of those things 
at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 